This podcast is produced by BoulderCast Weather. We're a local team of meteorologists that provide weather analysis and prediction, as well as cutting-edge forecast services and graphics specific to Colorado's front range. Find more on our website, bouldercast.com, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at BoulderCast. Opinions expressed in this podcast are reflective of the hosts only and do not represent the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the National Weather Service, L3 Harris Geospatial Solutions, or the United States Air Force. BoulderCast, a bolder take on weather. And welcome to the BorderCast podcast. This is Andy. We have also Ben, and we have back with us Matt Steiner. Hey guys. Hey. Hello there. How's it going? Doing well. Yourself? I am doing great. Just uh, just basking in this hundred degree weather still. Oh man. Has there been any relief? Uh, there was about two days of relief. We had. You know that you know that trough that moved through Colorado and brought you guys a dumping of snow. I wouldn't say a dumping, but a round of snow. Well, yeah. that that same system um, lowered our temperatures into the upper 80s and lower 90s for a couple days. Uh, our lows were in the upper 60s for three days, and then we rebounded right back up into the upper 90s and low hundos after that. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you say hundos. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had plenty of practice this year. <laughs> uh, I feel for you, but I don't miss it. Yeah, you, well, yeah, I, I miss Colorado every day. Let's just put it that way. I do, too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been good, though. I mean, we... We haven't seen a 110-degree day since early September, so we're at least not having to deal with that anymore. So now it's just a matter of getting over um, and getting used to these 100-degree days for probably a couple more weeks before temperatures start to naturally drop a little bit. Yeah. I mean, sooner or later, summer has to end, right? I mean, in in theory, the sun is going to uh, shift relative to the planet, so... Yeah, it's also been hot here in Boulder. We've been pretty much in the 80s. It's not been as bad as down there, but it has yeah, definitely been persistently hot. I think we're on a 20 or sorry, like two straight weeks of 80 plus degrees with a couple 90s sprinkled in there. Of course, that's all above average for this time of year. Was there any rain in that time? Um, no, it hasn't rained since it snowed. <laughs> nice. Which was on uh, September 8th. So, yeah, it's been really dry. How's it going for you, Andy? We've had a stretch of uh, almost two weeks of chilly weather for the east, at least. Yeah, last week we had a couple days with highs in the upper 60s. So that was really nice. Wow. And... There were some lows in the mid to upper 40s. So it was, it's been pretty nice. And we've had sort of a rainy pattern these last couple of days with the remnants of uh, Cyclone Beta, which has <laughs> kind of moved into the Midwest and now it's in the Carolinas right now. 
So I haven't seen the 90s in a while, which is good. We had enough of those. <laughs> that sounds pleasant. <laughs> you kidding? <laughs> well, Denver's up. Denver has uh, did set the record this week for a number of 90 degree days in a year. 75. Wow. We had two, we had two this week, including today. Ooh. Yeah. To put so, things into perspective, that's 20% of the year. Is that true? <laughs> that is true, huh? Right around 20%. Ooh. Maybe a little more than that. Yeah, it's about 20%. Yeah, one out of every five days in 2020 was above 90 degrees. That's crazy. That's painful. <laughs> yeah, we really didn't get many 90-degree days until June. So it was only June, July, August, September. Four months. It's like 75 out of 90 days. 75 out of 85 days or something. Pretty crazy. And that's with the snowstorm mixed in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have guessed? We should talk about that um, snowstorm recap at some point, just briefly at least. I forgot to put that into the show notes, but we'll... That would be something we haven't talked about. Our last podcast was leading up to that snowstorm where Matt didn't join us. So it would be good to just revisit that briefly. So uh, how much snow did you get? Let's do it right now. (laughs) So Boulder got 5.7 inches, which is fairly accurate. There was a lot of down trees, power outages. Pretty much worked out as expected. What do you think, Andy? I would go by what you said. I mean, I didn't uh, follow it much in the post process, but mm-hmm. seems about right. I mean, I think what some places got maybe two, two to five inches, so that's kind of in the range. Yeah, and I did think there were a lot of there were some power outages. I think too, with some of the trees being down. Yeah, I think mainly in Boulder was really the only place that had power outages. Um, like Denver only got an inch or two in most places. It was like Boulder getting close to six inches. That was definitely a lot. But I think one of the benefit or one of the upsides was that it didn't get as cold as expected. So we were thinking there was going to be some, well, there was still a lot of record lows and low highs set and temperature swings and first freezes, but it was, uh, the lowest temperature in Boulder was only 30 degrees. Okay. So there was some concern it could, if the skies cleared towards the end of the storm, it would get into the the middle to upper 20s. Which when you're talking, you know, just a couple degrees, degrees below freezing, that makes a big difference for uh, crops and, you know, vegetation and things like that. Yeah. So we did hear from the the farmers and some of the local farmers. They said... They had a lot of success with their crops surviving. I think mostly everything's going to be fine. Oh, nice. That's good news. From from what I heard, some people were a little bit upset with the weather forecasters. Uh, They they went out and picked all their green tomatoes and took all these precautions, but it really didn't get cold enough uh, to hurt the tomatoes. So, you know, some wasted efforts, maybe some, some degree of lost harvest, but it could have been a lot worse. I think just got a little bit lucky. Yeah. Yeah, that's always tough to predict. Especially yeah, after that's this. a tough forecast. I mean, it's hard to really tell how much the temperature is going to drop. And as you said, that makes a big difference. Yeah, just those couple of degrees. You know, a lot of stuff can survive 31 degrees, but, you know, 
Oh, you get a couple degrees colder than that, and everything's toast. Right. So it worked out, and maybe the six inches of snow on everything helped insulate things. I know I covered up my garden with a tarp, and then two days later I took it off, and I don't know how much actual liquid we got. It's probably over half an inch, but there was it all melted, and it was all the water was weighing down on all the plants. So I think the, the weight of the melted snow was worse than the snow. <laughs> <laughs> the water just pooling everywhere. But I didn't, didn't seem like any of my plants had any die off or anything. So I guess it was okay. That's good. Yeah. Nice. Never got cold enough. Yeah, I was trying to look and see how much liquid we actually got, but I can't seem to find it. Do you know, Andy? Probably not. Yeah. Uh, it's been long past my memory. <laughs> yeah, Boulder got about 1.4 inches or so. And for the month, we're going to probably end up with 1.5 inches. Okay. So it only rained one other time. So it's been very dry. Yeah, the ridge kind of took over after that storm moved out. Yeah, it did not, uh, did not take long for that to come right back. And even this past... You know, these past uh, 14 days where we've been at or above 80 degrees, that ridge really hasn't been all that strong, but I think it's just, it's just like the beaten down remnants of that mega ridge we had before the snowstorm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, if, if you look at the 500 millimeter map, it really doesn't look that impressive, but that, but that air mass just under that, even that flattened ridge is very warm and very dry. It is. Yeah. Speaking of dry, I want to provide you guys some perspective on how dry it's been in Phoenix this year. Um, okay. So since January 1st, we have received 4.55 inches of rain or of precipitation, which has all been rain. And what's the average? Um, let's see. Let me see if I can find it. Um, normal value since January 1st, 5.81. So ultimately, it doesn't seem that bad, but we are still below average. But also, when you think about it, that's about 20% of the rainfall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it is kind of bad. That's sad. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's a very small number. Yeah, that equates to a... A minus 1.26 deficit. Okay. So we're we're in bad shape. We've had a lot of fires. Pretty much everywhere out west has been on fire, at least at one point. So it's just a bad year for the western United States. Yeah. There was one day last week I, I swore that I saw some haze in the upper levels. And it didn't look like Cirrus because there was no Cirrus on satellite. So I think it was I think it was haze from the wildfires. Yeah, that's not good. It's it, I think I think what's most impressive about it is how far that haze is being spread from especially from all the wildfires in California, Oregon and Washington. Mhm. Yeah, it like took over all of North America. Yeah, it really has. <laughs> and 
it's been a good year for Noah to show off their HRR spoke model. Oh yeah, for sure. And the improvements and how uh, how it's been coming along in the last few years. Mm-hmm. I think it's really pretty good these days. Yeah, and it is. Good and I did read they're going to implement it into the full HRR model here before the end of the year. Oh, cool. Just I don't know how they're pulling that off, but the data is going to be uh, included in the version five of the her. Nice. So we'll be able to get that up on the website whenever that happens. <laughs> One thing I have noticed about the amount of haze and at least in my local area relative to what the forecasted temperature is, the the models tend to over forecast temperature by about anywhere between three and six degrees Fahrenheit on any given day when you have haze. So mm-hmm. most most of the days when the haze was really prevalent out here, um, I'd say like a week or two ago, especially um, the models were consistently over forecasting temperatures by about three to six degrees Fahrenheit. So it was it was actually pretty interesting to see. Now the haze isn't quite as bad. It still is bad. Don't get me wrong, but the visibility is is more like ten statute miles as opposed to what it had been like a couple weeks ago. So I don't think mm. we're we're seeing as much impact from the smoke slash haze as we were at that point. Yeah, yeah. Andy and I were talking about the same thing maybe last podcast i don't remember but we were talking about how the we noticed the same thing with those you know the models over predicting that high temperatures when there's thick smoke which makes sense sure does i certainly see the drop in the solar solar energy that i'm generating on my panels whenever there's there's thick smoke around yep probably uh like 20 percent Drop or more, I don't know, but it's definitely significant when it's thick smoke. Yeah, it's bad for air quality, but I guess good for temperatures. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for poison. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been, you just, I don't know, it's been since August really that we've had the, you know, it started in June a little bit with some some of the fires uh, in western Colorado and further west, Um, but it's. I don't know. It's just been persistently hazy. I don't really notice it anymore. I just brush at brush ash off off all my patio furniture and don't think too much of it. Hmm. So it's just uh, I don't know. Like today, the air quality was in the like eighties and nineties. I thought it was pretty good <laughs> compared to normal. <laughs> I guess you know it's all relative. After we've been in the hundreds and even over two hundred some days, coming back That's down to to that level is bearable. That's true. Well, should we uh, kick off our one of our topics? We shall. So for the rest of the episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the long-range forecast for Colorado. That could be the rest of this fall and the winter and how La Nina fits into that picture. Uh, if you didn't hear the La Nina uh, watch that the that NOAA has been propagating through for the last several months has now turned into a full-fledged La Nina. So does that mean it's a warning? I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps. 
Um, and then after we're, we're going to talk about a little bit about the tropics. I'm sure you've heard something about that, um, how active they've been this year. So what is the latest uh, in the tropical eastern Pacific? It's gotten really cold, right? Yeah. It's a couple degrees. Well, depends on where you look, but right over the far eastern Pacific, near the mm-hmm. equator, it's, yeah, I guess, between one and two degrees below average for this time of the year. There are different regions that they look at for the anomalies in different parts of the tropical Pacific. And what I noticed is that all four of those regions are below average. So that's a good sign that potentially the La Nina may persist into the winter. Yeah, and historically speaking, um, transitions do appear to occur actually Sometimes sooner, sometimes sometimes a little bit later than this, but um, the la- the last big transition to uh, La Nina to have occurred was looks to be 2017, whenever the index, the 3.4 index, was in the positive from for the for the running average between. June, July, and August, and then between July, August, September, it, it shifted to minus 0.1, and then the next average was minus 0.4, and then minus 0.7 after that. So, seems like this is a, this is the time to really be paying attention to whether the sea surface temperature anomalies are changing or not. Yeah, and that 20 that. 2017 El Nino, or sorry, La Nina that developed that winter was uh, fairly s- a similar scenario as you said. It was uh, an El Nino transitioning to La Nina. Mm-hmm. So, looking back at that, uh, winter might be a good proxy for what could happen this winter. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, it seems like. The last really strong La Nina that we had was back in 2010 into 11, whenever the the 3.4 was as low as minus 1.7, and that happened near the end of the year. So, uh, and then that and then that La Nina kind of persisted through much of the next year into in 2011, and then. And then uh, finally dropped off at the beginning of 2012. And of course, 2012, I hear horror stories about how terrible and how dry that year was, how warm it was in Colorado. Mm-hmm. You weren't in Colorado that year? I was not. I was in there the next year. Uh, 2013? Yeah. Yep, that was the year that there was all the fires and the drought and just dismal snowpack. Yeah, so let's just let's just hope that doesn't happen again. Let's just hope that this is you know a weak La Nina, and then we can move on. Yeah. So, my question is, does does this La Nina have like any significant impacts on on the jet pattern, or or does does there appear to be any sort of correlations that occur between between the uh, the Equatorial Pacific? anomalies and what's going on to the north that's a good question so there is a 
a somewhat standard wintertime one Nina pattern that is generally accepted, but um, you know, of course, it varies from you know week to week and month to month. But in general, the jet stream is further north and more amplified and up towards the Gulf of Alaska. Right. So that tends to make it drier in Arizona and make it more variable in Colorado. Oh yeah, I see what you mean. And there's no subtropical jet. Yeah. Yeah, we have generally we have less big snowstorms because we don't get those southern track storms that tap into all the moisture. In Colorado, we get more of the Canadian storms that are colder but don't necessarily produce as much snow. So we like the we usually like to say you get more frequent small snowstorms than whereas in El Nino you get less frequent big snowstorms. What does that mean for the mountains in Colorado? Because if you have that northwest flow, then mm-hmm. in theory that could support more orographic snowfall, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would say that you know the northwest favored mountains like towards Steamboat and maybe even Winter Park probably do okay during La Nina's, but the San Juans might not do so well because they're favored by southwest flow. That makes sense. Or more westerly flow. So we'll see. I mean, th- just using that, um, the last La Nina, that 20, the one from 2017 to 2018 as a proxy, um, that was... I don't know if you remember that year, Matt, but that was the year where we had a record-setting number of freezing drizzle events. Oh, gosh. <laughs> From those no, very super shallow Arctic uh, intrusions, uh, basically dropped down from the Midwest. Don't have much moisture. They're just extremely cold and shallow. And that very shallow upslope makes those freezing drizzle events. So hopefully that doesn't happen again. Yeah, those are terrifying. Um, but that is something that we're that is definitely more common in La Nina winters. So it could be another year where you need your ice scraper <laughs> more than you do your snow brush. <laughs> yeah. So so if this continues, then freezing drizzle for the front range, more events of that, uh, less snowfall for places like Wolf Creek, maybe Crested Butte. Um, to the south, into into Taos and uh, Snowball Sunrise Ski Resorts in Arizona. So yeah, <laughs> not good. <laughs> yeah, the one thing that is notable is that the winter, sorry, no, November, December, January precipitation in the Front Range is much more, uh, much less variable during La Nina winters. So, I don't know if I can share this graph or not. I guess I probably could, <laughs> but I'll put it in the uh, put in the show notes. There's just a lot less variability. I guess that's coming more from a bunch of small storms compared to El Nino, which has a chance to have some like booming snowstorms. Oh, I see. So it's you know El Nino, you're gonna get somewhere between one to you know inch and a half to two and a half inches. In the next in November, December, January, whereas El Nino, you get a lot more or a lot less. Just depends yeah. if some of those big storms hit. So that's you know not that exciting as a as weather forecaster. I'm a little bit it's a little bit disappointing. 
<laughs> that you're you're forecasting snow more often, but it's mostly just wimpy storms. I don't know. What would you guys rather forecast? A bunch of small storms or a few big storms? I could take either one. Same. <laughs> you, either one? you just enjoy the challenge of forecasting Mother Nature. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're forecasting snow, and I haven't seen snow in a long time down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I didn't talk. I didn't mention this anywhere on the site or anything, but what is it now? It's it's the top it's the the top six snowiest Septembers in Boulder's. Uh, well, since 1950, have all occurred during La Nina years. Did you see that, Andy? I didn't. So there were there was a couple big September snowstorms, but anything that was you know like this year, this is this year's one of the top. Uh, well, not one of the top. But it's in the top six or so. Uh, since 1950 for most September snow and you guess it they've all they were all La Nina falls I guess so what does that say it's pretty interesting right it is something about La Nina like a developing La Nina just makes that random late summer snowstorm possible I guess yeah I was gonna seems pretty bizarre yeah I was gonna mention that I I guess it's not really La Nina yet, but I could almost see hints of it already kind of out there in the atmosphere the last couple weeks or three weeks, at least over the eastern U.S., because we've had had troughiness over the east, and we've started to see some cold fronts push down. And you guys have kind of been on that fringe of the jet stream, which brought you that snowstorm, September. So, I mean, could there already be some hints of La Nina already there? That's the question. I don't know. but That's true. That was a very La Nina-esque pattern. Just kind yeah. of dropping out, dropping out of central Canada. Jet stream uh, ridge amplifying up into Alaska. So, I don't know. That's a good point. Just a thought, but it uh, could be. Yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point. I mean, it's, I mean we've, we've kind of been seeing this ridging pattern over over us already and for quite a while here with that uh with that trough well well off to our to our east and by well off to our east i mean east of colorado and east of east of even the great plains and that's putting us in a in a very dry spot and and you can kind of see in the figure that you know exists out there about about La Nina patterns, you have that nice, you have that nice long wave ridge over over the Pacific that kind of extends over the Western United States, and then it transitions over to a to a troughing pattern as you get into the Eastern United States with the inflection point basically over the, the Great Plains. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of hinting at at a La Nina already as we speak, and I mean. I'd have to look back at previous years to see how hot it had been during La Niña's in uh, in the southwest United States, but I would I would uh, I would <laughs> think that they were pretty hot as well. Yeah, that's not a good pattern for low normal temperatures. Yeah, exactly. For the desert, because you just have no energy. You have no. 
you have no troughing, you have no, you have, you have, you have no trigger, no forcing mechanism to, to produce any clouds, precipitation. So it's just going to get really hot. Yeah. That, I think we're already, I don't, I guess we could talk about it, but I think we're already seeing signs of that exact pattern that you're, that you're talking about setting up for next week and maybe yep. the week after that. Right. <laughs> With a big trough in the east and that big ridge on the west coast. With Colorado kind of somewhere in between, kind of getting whatever air mass wins out for the day. Yeah, and it seems like whenever that happens, Colorado ends up being being in a, in a zone where they're they're influenced by the, the northwesterly flow or they're just to the west of that northwesterly flow. And then it just takes a little a little impulse or maybe a short wave to kind of push that troughing back off to the west to get mm-hmm. Colorado back in it. So I feel like I've seen it before mm-hmm. in previous years. Yeah. Yeah, so that's sneak peek at next week's weather, but that's probably what we're going to be talking about. It looks like uh, Sunday we're going to be wiggled, wiggled into that cold, colder air mass, and then middle of the week we'll go back into the warm air mass, and then <laughs> who knows what happens. Anytime there's a small disturbance moving through the Midwest, it's going to push a cold front our way. Yeah, they, they can be somewhat subtle. Um, with that kind of pattern setting up too, so mm-hmm. um, I was just gonna say, uh, yeah, we have a good idea of picking out those because of some of the products we have on our website. Yep, those eight hundred millibar temperatures. I know that this week it was a nightmare, at least for me, forecasting when all the very subtle cold fronts were gonna move through, and even that bigger one coming up over this weekend. So it was just hard to get the timing down right. The models kept swapping back and forth whether it was actually going to reach Colorado or not. Mm-hmm. So when me and was totally normal five days out, but even as it got closer, it was still difficult to pinpoint when that front might actually go through, and if it even would. But seems very likely at this point. <laughs> <laughs> It'll knock us into fall for a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of summer. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about the tropics? Go ahead, Matt. <laughs> well, uh, what what can we really say? I mean, it's <laughs> where what's today's date? September twenty fifth, mm-hmm. and we are already in the Greek alphabet. I can't recall any other time in our history of keeping of keeping track of these storms where. At least since we've been naming them, that we were hitting the Greek alphabet this early in the year. I'd have to go back and double check 2005 to see how soon they hit the Greek alphabet. But this year, I feel like we hit the Greek alphabet sooner than any other year in recent memory. So, yeah, it's been it's been super active. Luckily, we haven't seen a ton of major hurricane landfalling storms. We did, we did see one that uh, that impacted uh, specifically Lake Charles, 
got impacted by the uh, cat the Category Four hurricane. Um, anybody re remind me of what the name of that storm was? Um, Sally. No, Sally. Sally was uh, was about a week, week and a half ago. That that was a Cat Two storm that hit Alabama and Florida. Okay. Um, oh, the the one that hit Louisiana. Yes. Like it, uh, it basically bullseyed over Lake Charles, Louisiana. Yeah. Was it Laura? Laura, yeah, I think it was Laura. Yeah. Made landfall there. Significant damage associated with with that hurricane. It was one of those hurricanes that was still intensifying as it was beginning to move over land, which is never a good thing. Whenever you're, whenever you're tracking these things, mm -hmm. so a um, lot, a lot of damage occurred over that area. And then a few weeks later, we we have Hurricane Sally, which at the time it didn't look like it was going to be more than a Category One because it was it was approaching the the uh, Alabama. At, well, at first it was actually um, supposed to hit Louisiana, Mississippi, and then the the forecast track of it continued to shift further over to the east into Alabama and the Florida Panhandle, and and then finally, as it made landfall, I think the official landfall was Gulf Shores, and then it moved off to the northeast and kind of <laughs> bullseyed the the. Uh, Bama, Florida, the Florida Bama line, as my uh, Alabama and Florida people will call it sometimes. So, Alabama. Yeah, there, there's a bar down there. I'll have to uh, explain, you know, go a little more into that another time. But, um, <laughs> but, but it, but the hurricane actually kind of surprised me because it was moving very slowly, and. Typically, when we see really slow-moving hurricanes that are moving, like, less than five miles per hour, for example, um, you tend to see some upwelling occur mm -hmm, of, exactly. of cooler waters below the sea surface, which will henceforth weaken the hurricane over time, and it'll actually be a good thing for, uh, for those watching it. Because that that would mean the max sustained winds will drop, and the and the overall storm will not be quite as devastating. Well, as the as the hurricane made its way towards Alabama and Florida, it was moving at about a pace of like north. Um, it was like north and northeast at about two to three miles per hour. So we're seeing the exact ingredients we're looking for for a an upwelling weakening hurricane and sure enough as it approached the coast right before it approached the coast they did a recon flight and they found that the central pressure actually dropped and it had intensified from a category one to a category two so we saw something that i typically wouldn't expect yeah What's happened with that? So yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's there's a few things that could that could uh, 
be the reason for that. I mean, maybe the waters in the Gulf were just super warm and they were super deep and not enough upwelling occurred to where you could tap into that cooler water. So maybe maybe the waters that close to the coast just are kind of shallow are kind of shallow already and and those shallow waters are all just warm and you don't have any cold water it's tough to really say but Mm -hmm. that that would be my guess yeah it's amazing so the slow moving storm didn't matter in, in the big scheme of things maybe maybe this up this uh these slow moving hurricanes that produce this upwelling effect only matters in certain parts of the Atlantic and Gulf of Mexico. Mm, with like a different coastal structure. Right. Or continental shelf. Mm-hmm, exactly. Hmm. Well, that's not good if there's a hurricane that's moving that slow and it's also that strong. Right, exactly. The and fact that it was a rain and storm surge. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you just, we didn't anticipate that. I didn't anticipate that. Um, and then it made landfall and I've just, you know, I have a lot of friends that were significantly impacted by that storm. I've watched videos. I've seen a lot of power lines that were down some of the cities that are near and dear to my heart down there (laughs) were pretty significantly impacted. So I think, I think, uh, most most of my friends got power back within like three to five days, but some were as long as a week. Some still don't have power. Luckily, my mom lives in an area of the county that was hit where she isn't really significantly impacted by storm surge or heavy rain or anything like that. So she got power back within a day. But that wasn't the case for everyone, obviously. Wow. Yeah, the the path of uh, Laura, I was looking back at when you were talking about like the earliest getting into the Greek alphabet. I was looking at the 2005 season mm-hmm. just briefly. And obviously you're right. Like we got into the Greek letters in 2005, but not until October. Kind right. of like late, late October where we had mm-hmm. alpha. Um, mm. But... Uh, Rita was a very similar track to Laura that year. Not identical, but pretty close. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's just something about East Texas and Western Louisiana that you know, <laughs> just... Yeah, I guess it's the... Plates hurricanes. I guess it's the position of the uh, Bermuda High and steers them just right around the uh, area of high pressure. I, um, I, pro- I don't think I ever told you guys this, but Back in undergrad, I forget whatever the assignment was, but it was in tropical meteorology. So we had to come up with some research project and do it and then write about it. But by the topic I chose was I basically made up this um, fake index that was called the Gulf Coast Hurricane Susceptibility Index or something like that. <laughs> and basically I did some like weighting and averaged um, I did some weighting to calculate this index, but it basically looked at population density of the coastal counties. It looked at the average elevation of the coastal counties. And it also incorporated a climatology of landfalling hurricanes. So it, it came up basically it came up with this like ranking system for the entire coastline. 
hmm. about the places that were most susceptible to hurricanes and where you should definitely not get a vacation home. Nice. <laughs> nice. So I forget what the uh I forget where the like hot spots were, but like Matt said, it's probably Gulf Shores and Louisiana. Who knows? I mean I thought I remember when I was visiting graduate schools, one of the schools I visited was Florida State, and there was one guy who was, I think, doing his thesis work on this divergent zone over Tallahassee that essentially makes Tallahassee, and hopefully this guy isn't listening because I don't know exactly what the what the paper was on, but... Um, if I remember correctly, it was about this divergent zone over Tallahassee, which will deflect the direction of storms and will also deflect the direction of hurricanes. And mm. that and that kind of explained why Tallahassee was never hit by by a hurricane in quite a long time. And mm. then Hurricane Michael happened in 2018. <laughs> so, yeah. Did Michael make landfall? Oh, yeah. It was a Cat 4, and it intensified in a hurry. I remember Michael. I thought yeah. Michael was the one that just, like, moved up the east coast of Florida and then, like, curled out. Yeah, it was it was a Florida panhandle hurricane. It, it like, did a ton of damage to to Tyndall Air Force Base in, uh, in, in the Panama City area and, uh, and Port St. Oh, Joe, Tallahassee, pretty much that area of Florida. Huh. So, what is was it surface divergence or upper divergence? Yeah, and that's and that's the question. I think it was surface. Have to be surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, whoever that person was, I don't remember your name, but good uh, job. <laughs> getting some recognition. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone got read his paper. <laughs> well, we're up to beta at this point, and we've been stuck there for about a week or so now. There's for what seems like the first time all summer, there's no current tropical disturbances or even areas of interest. Right. Um, just the remnants of tropical storm Lowell in kind of near Hawaii. But otherwise, not much going on. Right. All the way to Africa. Yeah, that's that's where they originate these days. Yeah, it's good to see some quiet <laughs> for yeah, a change. Give the National Hurricane Center a break. <laughs> just been going crazy did you see guys see that tropical storm that they named it like just before it like made landfall in portugal <laughs> i did i did yeah i, I remember that storm mm-hmm. i think it was uh paulette was it paulette i don't know i forget it, it reminds me of hurricane vince you guys remember hurricane vince vince <laughs> from uh 2005 making landfall in was it portugal uh, I had I that very year up, so let me check. I remember Hurricane uh, Vince. Hurricane Vince. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Good that, memory. It made landfall in Spain. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think Spain? Also Port- it, it was either Spain or Portugal. Yeah, as a hurricane, right? Wasn't that like... Um, oh, no. Like um, tropical depression? It may have been depression. Well, I'm looking at the color bar here, and what is blue... I think it was actually a depression. Man, I remember Hurricane Vince. It was the coolest hurricane. Look how small it is in that uh, picture I saw. Oh, I you guys. see the satellite. Yep. Oh, nice. It's like, look how tiny it is. It's like just the size of an eyewall. Yeah. <laughs> the whole storm. 
It's a very <laughs> tiny hurricane. But it was a hurricane, I guess. It's pretty cool. Category one. I see it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> it was... It formed on October 8th and made landfall on the 11th, it looks like. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 20, 2005 was a crazy year. There's a lot of good, a lot of memorable storms. I'm like looking at all the, all the Greek name storms from that year, and there were actually a couple hurricanes that developed. Uh huh. They're all in the middle of the Atlantic, though, right? Uh, let's see. Epsilon was in the middle of the Atlantic. Uh, Beta was actually made a landfall. Um, okay. near Costa Rica, I think that might be Nicaragua that got hit. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, sure enough, these You're, things are still, still happening. So, this time of year, like, as we get later in the season, does that become more favorable for the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean? Yeah, so... And like, the Yucatan and Central America? I think, yeah, I think so. I think... I think the Gulf of Mexico kind of holds on as being an area of favorability, mainly because of how warm the ocean waters are. Or mm-hmm. I guess technically it's not an ocean, but Gulf. <laughs> so, so we're, whereas other parts of of the Atlantic, um, you see kind of low favorability in like June, July, and then you start to see an increase in favorability as the water temperatures warm up into August and September and and even into October. And then you start to see the water temperatures out there decrease again and the favorability goes down. Okay. Yeah, that's probably true. They are probably some of the warmer areas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. <clears throat> Yeah, we haven't had a. Do we have any Gulf of sorry Baja California landfalls yet this year? Uh, it doesn't. I can't recall any. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Because <laughs> those are the ones that matter for Colorado. Generally, I can't remember anything. It's just I'd been that high pressure been steering everything away from the shore. I'd say maybe one, but not sure. Let's have a look. Because I know in yeah, I don't remember two thousand five. In the Pacific. Oh, you you've been forecasting some remnant storms, right, Andy? Coming for North Carolina? Did you do Patricia? Um, I don't. Do we do we have a Patricia this year? Maybe not. <laughs> we had yeah, we had Issa Eos and Sally, and then Beta today. But I wasn't working for the last. It was Paulette. My bad. Paulette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that one stayed over the Atlantic, thankfully. Mm-hmm. I can't remember when you get all these names. I know it's just yeah. too many. Yeah, so, like if you gets busy. So it looks like to uh, answer your question about the Baja mm-hmm. region, I don't think any storms have made any significant landfalls that eventually moved into the United States at least this year. Okay, They've all kind of just developed and then moved off to the west and away from the United States. Or they just fizzle out to the south of Baja. There I see a couple storms that that kind of weak like that basically weakened as they moved as far north as the central portion of the Baja. Okay. 
Well, that makes sense given the cold water and the developing La Nina. Yeah, exactly. So and, and so you don't expect that. And with that high pressure, I mean, the winds weren't favorable, the water temperatures weren't favorable. So this wasn't our year. Just isn't. Not this year. There's nothing working towards bringing any moisture to the Southwest or Colorado. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a pretty short monsoon season, both for Colorado and Arizona. Just just for the entire Southwest United States in general, it was a short it was a short lived um, monsoon season. So, um, you know, all the all the ingredients that we typically see, we just didn't see. Mm. Well, I do. Um... I was just taking a quick peek at the fall outlook from the client prediction center. And I don't, I'm not sure how there's somehow they're more confident that it's going to be warmer in the three month outlook than they are for the, for October. So they, um, they have warm and dry for the one for October and then very warm, very dry for October, November, December period. So the rest of the year. Huh. For for pretty much with a bullseye centered over West Texas and the desert Southwest, and this includes Colorado. Sounds lovely. That's all I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I've been really uh, appreciating the eighty degree days recently. It's just kind of that's sort of my ideal temperature, low to middle eighties, maybe low eighties. It's been like just perfect to go outside in the morning. The mornings have been cool, but not too cold, like in the fifties. I don't know. It's a great time of year. Yeah, with the the dry dry air there, I'm sure the eighties feel pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a that's a key point there. Eighties <laughs> <laughs> exactly. and humidity is just as miserable. As, you don't want to be in that. No, you don't. Which is, <laughs> that's why that's why it's good to be where you are, Andy, with those sixties right now. Yeah, it's been nice. I mean, I was. I was like, well, I should make some pumpkin bread. And then I went to two stores and they were sold out of the pumpkin in the can. I, that always so happens. I think everyone was like, hey, it's time to get pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, you should buy up all the pumpkin before the first cold snap <laughs> of the year and then <laughs> price gouge it. <laughs> that happens every year. It's like definitely going to happen. It's like the first That's time. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> I might think of that next year. <laughs> Why? Why wait? Five dollars a can, sell it online or <laughs> on Craigslist. It's not. It's not an essential product. You can do it. That's true. You're legally allowed. <laughs> Unlike the people that try to do it with hand sanitizer. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and masks. Yeah, it does seem like there's plenty of hand sanitizer now, but it was plenty of toilet paper now too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you still can't find like some uh Clorox wipes or something. Those are still hard to find. They are. And another thing that's really hard to find is uh hand soap. Like if you go if you go to the store, they if you, if there's a specific hand soap you like, you're probably not going to find it. <laughs> you're getting you're getting a grocery store knockoff brand. <laughs> that's yeah. all that's also, oh uh, yeah, you get the knockoff brand, of course, maybe, <laughs> but maybe that's even gone. I don't know. I'm, yeah, oh, no, yeah, I, I, specific I, brand. Who, who buys 
You buy soap in the store. I buy all my hand soap online. <laughs> <laughs> I have a special brand. It's called everyone's hand soap. <laughs> Not kidding. <laughs> no, I used to buy the 99 cent dial brand or off brand mm-hmm. at uh, King Supers. It was like 99 cents. And out here, I couldn't find their knockoff brand, as Matt was saying. I had to buy like a $6 one. I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever told you this either, but you're you're the one that has the orange dial soap, right? Uh, oh, in like North Carolina, you mean? No, uh, when you lived in Boulder. Orange. I think I did. Yeah. Well, anyways, that was the that was the hand soap that my grandma always had. <laughs> so every time I'd use your soap, I would remember like the smell of it. You know, remind me of my grandma's house <laughs> when I was growing up. That's cool. I never knew anyone else that had that soap. My grandma had had it. In her uh, in her bathroom, <laughs> my entire childhood. I like the so like, word. Yeah, they're good. It had that unique smell. <laughs> but, I like that. I like that brand. It's good when you can find it, at least. Yeah, for sure. Well, should we wrap it up? Yeah. Well, next time I talk to you guys, hopefully we have some more weather to talk about. Yeah, hopefully we. Hopefully it's not just the ridge again. More tropical cyclones. Yeah, I feel like we've had this ridge for and, months now. <laughs> yeah, ever since we started the podcast, it's been heat, fires, and ridges. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been since July or early August. So. Yeah. yeah. It's been rough. But eventually, all things must come to an end. <laughs> yeah, that's the hope. That is the hope. Oh, it's good catching up with you guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Take care. Take care.